Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to MBR, or as we like to call it around here, Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome in on a beautiful Monday evening live as promised to be at 9 p.m. here on the channel. Make sure you're hitting that thumbs up button and engaging in the chat as per usual. But let me tell you something. Never, never, ever, not once, never has the University of Georgia signed or committed the number one receiver in the country. Okay? Never, not once. Okay, so I ask you here today, March 13th, 2023, in year two of the Kirby Smart reign over the, the world of college football, is it possible that Georgia could do something that they've never done? Can Georgia truly, do they have a shot at Jeremiah Smith, the number one overall receiver in the 2024 class, um, and a five-star of all five stars? Do they have a legitimate chance, and if not, to flip him from Ohio State? And if not, why? Right. Do they have a legitimate chance of, you know, a lot of people in this chat and a lot of people in this conversation will say, Brooks, does Georgia have a legitimate chance of signing any elite top in five star caliber wide receivers? And yes, we drew you in with Jeremiah Smith and we will talk about Jeremiah Smith today. But today's discussion is much more grand. It's much more macro. It's much more uh, large scale. Right. The University of Georgia has had a consistent issue at signing five stars. Right. So here we are, March, nine months roughly till National Signing Day, fresh off of two national titles in a row. Um, Georgia has a chance, or possibly a chance rather, um, as something that they've never, that they've never done. Um, and he was on campus this weekend, and that's all great. And as the as the recruitment continues, and we've given you some intel over on patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin on it in terms of whether or not there's some return visits, and there will be if, eventually. Um but you're going to face some serious counter-recruitment measures because you're the University of Georgia, and this is the number one receiver in all of America. You're probably already thinking about it. Georgia doesn't de develop wide receivers, right? Georgia hasn't had a 1,000-yard receiver since before Jeremiah Smith was born. Shouts out Terrence Edwards. Georgia hasn't had a first-round draft pick at the receiver position since 2011 when A.J. Green was selected by the Cincinnati Bengals. He just retired, guys. Y'all haven't had an elite wide receiver come out of the University of Georgia, okay, in a while. Okay, and if you and you've heard all of these things and all of the reasons why Georgia shouldn't win position battles like this or recruitment battles like this. And here's what I'm here to tell not only you, but probably, you know, five stars moving forward. And I believe this will probably be the pitch. Georgia doesn't have a problem developing wide receivers. They don't. They don't have a develop a, a development issue at the University of Georgia at the receiver position. In fact, they have a landing issue. They have a problem landing five-star uh, wide receivers. Georgia hasn't landed a five-star at the position since 2009 when Marlon Brown out of Memphis committed uh, to Mark Rick and staff. Uh, Georgia isn't, uh, excuse me, isn't the place where top talents go to die. It's just a, a, a place where they just don't go there, right? Kirby Smart has landed 33 five-stars since 2017. Since he took over and had his first full class, he has landed 33 five-stars. Not one of them at the wide receiver position. It's almost statistically impossible 
to even think about that, right? By the way, it's not a 100% problem that's 100% Georgia's, right? It's 100% unique to Georgia with regards to the nation's most elite programs. Think about it. The teams that are constantly recruiting in the top three, the teams that are constantly competing for national titles, the teams that are constantly favored uh, for national titles, the Alabamas of the world, the Ohio States of the world, heck, even the Clemsons of the world, they have signed and continue to sign five-star receivers, yet Georgia does not, right? So why? Why is this an issue? Why can't Georgia land these dudes? They land every other position. They got guys upon guys upon guys. Yet at Georgia, Tyler Williams is your highest-ranked recruit in the 2023 class at the receiver position. Tyler Williams is a really good football player. He's the 17th-ranked wide receiver in the nation. He's a really good football player. Ohio State's got three receivers in the 2023 class ranked inside the top 10. In 2022, Georgia's highest-ranked wide receiver was C.J. Smith. He was the 34th overall wide receiver in the country, okay? Bama had two inside the top 10 in 2022. So they're both recruiting at an elite level. You already know this. Why, why, why? Why is it Georgia? It's not a development issue, I promise you. I already told you about this. George Pickens, you give him a George Pickens. George Pickens was fringe five-star. He was a four-star, okay? He was like the number four overall receiver in that class somehow. That was the Jaden Hazelwood class, and we'll get to him in a second. Okay, but you give them a George Pickens, you give them an elite, elite receiver or a borderline five star. He will turn him into a borderline first round draft pick pending an injury. George Pickens doesn't get hurt. George Pickens is a first round draft pick coming out of the University of Georgia. So this theory that Georgia can't take talented receivers and allow them to produce, allow them to develop and go off into the league to be successful. It's just Fugazi. It just does not exist. Right. Again, you give George, you give Kirby Smart George Pickens. He turns out what would have been a first-round draft pick. So what is it about these five stars? Why don't they come to Georgia? I will tell you one thing. It's a little bit about proximity. This state just does not – just it doesn't produce, produce them yet. I don't know why I stumbled over that. This state of Georgia does not produce wide receiver talent at the rate it does other positions per these ranking systems, right? The last five-star that came from the state of Georgia was Jaden Hazelwood. And I, I don't know what the reporting was about Jaden Hazelwood when it was around, right? That was that after his signing class, that was my first kind of year on the beat covering recruiting. George Pickens was already enrolled by the time I was covering the University of Georgia. So I, I wasn't here. I don't know what people were writing about. I only know what happened upon retrospect. And I'm gonna tell you right now, you didn't miss Jaden Hazelwood. You didn't, I don't think you missed on that one. I don't, I don't know. Again, I don't know what people were telling you then. I think that was a selective, all right. Oklahoma probably is the place for you kind of deal, right? So that was the last one. Before him, you got to go back to 2016 when Demetrius Robinson was the number one rated uh, wide receiver in the class out of the state of Georgia down there in Savannah. He goes to Cal for family reasons and ends up coming back to you with one half of a knee gone, right? So you don't have these guys. They don't, they don't pump them out in the state of Georgia like they do the state of Florida. Florida's got, I think, three five-star receivers in the state of Florida this year in this class alone. I know two for a fact play on one seven on 17, right? Jeremiah Smith, who we're talking about right now. Um, and the other kid, I think it's going to end up at Miami. Um, nonetheless, they have really, really talented receivers every year. All those Bama receivers that are, you know, coveted, apart from Devontae Smith, all of them are Florida kids. Henry Ruggs, Florida kid. Uh, 
Jalen Waddle, Florida kid, right? I believe. Maybe Alabama. Nonetheless, a lot of Florida guys. The Ridley boys, Florida kids. Okay? So, a lot of these high-end five-star talents, just they're, they're not around your program. They're not necessarily here. Um, so, here would be my pitch. If I were recruiting Jeremiah Smith, okay, if I were trying to pull him away from Ohio State, I would explain to him that this is nothing to do with, you know, whether or not Georgia can turn five-star receivers into first-round draft picks or whether or not you can win a Bolitnikoff at the University of Georgia. It's just about what the, the fact of the matter is Georgia has not had a Jeremiah Smith. They have not. They've never – literally, they never have. They have never landed a Jeremiah Smith in their life. So would their offense ever look like that? No. They Hell, they just had a 4,000-yard receiver for the first time in their program's history. Why? Because they don't have a bunch of these guys. So I promise you, once they did, it would probably look a lot different. This would be a transcendent type of recruitment. This would be something that would alter your offense, just like George Pickens did when he was healthy at the University of Georgia. Okay. I promise you right now, because I know for a fact it was true. Prior to 2022, you had to go all the way back to 2013, okay, when John Jenkins was drafted in the third round before you found a University of Georgia defensive lineman that was drafted in the NFL draft. Think about that. The University of Georgia, who now is known for defensive line you, you think about it, it's connected. They have four first-rounders in the last 18 months. That's what it's going to be. Four of them from one program playing three positions. That's Georgia now. Dude, before that draft, they had not had a draft pick in a decade at the defensive line position. People were saying this same nonsensical shit about Kirby Smart and Trey Scott at the defensive line position before, guess what? Before good players started showing up. And then once good players started showing up, Guess what? Good players turn into great players at Georgia. So just find great players. It's, it, it sounds simple, but I promise you, like six, seven months, a year ago, before Brian McClendon was like fully hired at the wide receiver position, coaching job, you weren't even really getting into these rooms. Like you weren't even getting your foot in the door. I don't know if you're going to fully knock this door down because Brian Hartline has a lock on Jeremiah Smith, as he should. He has proof of concept. But I'm telling you right now, it's going to take like one or two of these to decide that both of we. Hey, you know what? We're going similar to what happened in the transfer portal this year. Maybe that's the start of it, right? Rara Thomas, Dominic Lovick, two individuals decided, hey, Georgia's the la the launch pad for me. Georgia is. That's a that's a key sign. Two of the nation's best transfer portal guys. Now, here's the next step. The first time one of these these wide receiver talents decides that, hey, man, like. Georgia's going to be my launch pad. They just need a me. It's going to roll. It's just going to roll because, again, good players at Georgia turn into great players, period, point blank. Welcome into tonight's show. We got a loaded one for you. Um, we're going to do some stock watch tonight. Um, we play a lot of different roles here. We got Coach Brooks. We got some coachisms later. We got some Kirby Smartisms. We got some Kirbyisms that we're going to drop. A Kirbyism that I made up on the fly today that I think. We're going to find out if he watches the show because this is so him. Honest to God, like we need to find out. We need to get it in front of him because I think I think he's going to love it. He, he might he might plaster it on the damn walls of the building. That's how good this Kirbyism is that we're going to deliver to you lately or later. Um, but we're going to get into some stock watch heading into spring practice just here in a minute. Um, but to put a bow on the Jeremiah Smith conversation, we didn't even get into Dylan Rayola, okay? You're going to be in the fight with Dylan Rayola and Jeremiah Smith, presuming they go the distance. The best case right now 
for the University of Georgia, despite the fact that they are fresh off two national titles, is that all of these offensive commitments get pushed. Okay, you don't want none of these five-star football players, top 10, top 11, top 12, top 15 football players tying the bow on their recruitment right now. None of them. Because it probably ain't going to be you because the ground has not settled uh, beneath your changes yet. Just like Alabama. The same could be true for set, it's set for Alabama and their offensive talents and offensive uh, recruiting targets, I would imagine. All right? The ground needs to settle a little bit. Don't be rushing kids to pop commitments, Georgia fans. Y'all don't want that smoke right now. All right? Wait for things to develop, as you do every year, by the way, as you do every year. In July, you daggum Georgia fans are in my mentions going absolute bonkers talking about what's going on with recruitment. We're ranked seventh on 24-7's board. Oh, my God, has Kirby lost it? We just won a national title, Brooks. What's going on? And then you finish top two, top three, because they're closers. Like all the all the Fugazi stuff goes out the window as soon as the season starts and teams start and players start figuring out what's real, what's fake, what leads to results, all that good stuff. Hold the brakes, but you want these things to continue to go. Again, anything tied up right now, anything anybody tweeting out they they, they wrapping it up, unless that's a defensive player. Whew, hold that breath. That's all I can give you on the intel front publicly. But we do have a great show for you guys tonight. We're gonna take a stock watch around. Um, and we're going to look around the league. We told, told you earlier in the year, uh, hey, we're going to be here all offseason. And as much as you guys love hearing me talk about your dogs, um, we got to mix it up every once in a while. So while I take a swig of this here, uh, high octane, uh, pure Colombian, uh, Col you know, Colombian Bam Bam strapped to the uh, hood of the car, hit that like button right quick. There's a kilo of Colombian Bam Bam strapped to the hood of the car. You got hair on your peaches or what? If you've never seen Talladega Nights, you, you are just flabbergasted right now. Um, and if you've never seen Talladega Nights, ladies and gentlemen, I've never told you to stop, leave, go do something else while you're watching my program. But if you've never seen that movie, you need to leave right now. Go watch that. Um, let's get after this stock watch. Tomorrow starts spring practice. You know that? I think y'all, y'all definitely know that. Um, because you're Georgia fans. But tomorrow starts spring practice, and it's the worst day of the world for offensive linemen. You're in helmets. Um, everybody's playing full speed, and you don't get to. Um, all that good stuff. It's, it's not fun for you. Everyone else gets to be like, yay, football's back. Offensive linemen are like, awesome. I have face mask prints on my left tit for like a week now. Thanks, uh, Warren Brinson. Thanks, Bear Alexander. Oh, man, my forearm looks like the Predator absolutely just clawed my my, my shit off. Thanks, uh, Christian Miller, right? That, that's what tomorrow is for offensive linemen. Um, nonetheless, it is the start of spring practice, and all that comes with that is just a tremendous amount of stress. I'm going to peel the curtain back for you as a football player, okay? Not that I, I played at this level, not that I ever had these types of expectations, but I understand what spring practice feels like. And in fact, on the Division II level that I played at, it's an even a higher rate. So let me explain this to you from a Division II level so you can understand the stakes. And it's very similar to this now on college level because of the NIL budget. And you'll understand what I mean by that when I get done with this. But on the Division II level, at the end of every single spring, you have to sit down with your football coach and basically establish what your percentage scholarship is going to be that fall. Okay, because on the Division II level, there's only 35 scholarships. It's not 85, right? So you have 150 guys on the roster that's balancing out the budget for 35 scholarships total. So literally, your 
Like your contract value is on the line during those 15 practices. That's what that shit is on D2 level. That's what that feels like. That's the pressure that 18 to 22 year olds are dealing with. So I've always said this during camp and during spring for the love of God. I don't know why you're watching, but if you are, if you are a significant other girlfriend, mom, dad, brother, sister, don't care. If you know a football player, don't do nothing but pray for that brother right now and leave him the hell alone because he growing through it. All right. For the next month and a half, that dude going through it. Don't text him. Don't call him. If he needs you, he going to pick it up. Nonetheless, leave him alone. All right. Because it is extremely stressful and tense and highly, highly, highly competitive. All right. Even more so now on the Division One level, used to it'd be kick your feet up, everybody. Now it's, hey, we finna find out what that NIL salary budget finna look like this fall. Throw them helmets out. We finna, we finna find out which one of y'all hitting that portal window in March. Throw them helmets out. That's what spring practice is now in college football. So we gonna rattle off some names of some folks that got some really, really pivotal practices coming up. All right. This is the definition of stock watch. All right. If you were to spend a quarter of the, the fiscal year, right, one fourth of it, and you were to evaluate a company, that's what this is right now. Except at the end of the quarter, for some of these guys, we finna find out whether or not we buying, selling, holding, trading, cutting, cutting losses, cutting bait, doing all that stuff. All right. Not that I was a finance major, but you get what I'm saying. That is what is on the line, literally, for a lot of these football players that we're about to talk about, starting with Marcus or Simi Jack Saint. Look, I know Rara Thomas transferred in, but Marcus and for some to some extent Dylan Bell, but not really. Uh, Marcus is the only returning football player at the exposition that has any type of uh you know uh history at the exposition or any type of rapport with his quarterback Carson Beck. If Marcus or Simi Jack Saint cannot hold on to the exposition and make that his over the next 15 days, over the next 15 football practices. I, I, I don't know when. I don't know when Marcus or Simi Jack saying will hold the exposition at Georgia and make it his. So that's what's on the line for him because, again, you got a guy in Ra Thomas. Yeah, he's an SEC vet, but he's had two months in this system, okay? And a lot of that, he was dealing with some stuff. So you, you, should, you should have a firm hold on what is a position that you have a lead on. And by the way, decided to come back. It's been it's been an up and down like this. This three star is really gonna beat me out, Ad Mitchell, and come to find out he don't he don't really like practice that hard. And it, all it took was a national title catch for this guy to start turning into whatever it turned into. And then boom, he ends up in Texas, and now it's my spot. Okay, but here comes this Ra Ra Thomas guy. Massive, massive, fifteen practices for Marcus or Simi Jackson at the X position because Lord knows they need one. They they need a guy to become a guy at that position. Okay, so big, big week uh, coming up, big month coming up for MRJ right there. Uh, another name, and I'm I'm gonna use his name because I know he do, he he responds well to this. He don't mind. I'm not gonna get some DM or some uh, block on Twitter when I say this. It's all of them, but it's him in particular. Kristen Miller, massive, massive spring. Okay, Bear Alexander did what he did last year. Took him about eight weeks, or not not even that. Took him about seven weeks to catch up 
from what the lead Kristen had on him during the spring. Remember, because Barry Alexander last year, this time of year, was going through some, uh, a shoulder surgery, so he didn't get to partake in spring. Kristen did well, okay, continued to do well during the summer, had a lead on him going into camp. As soon as them pads came on, 99 started doing what 99 did and what it looks like 99 is going to continue to do, which brings us to the rest of the room. Again, I said this could be all of them. This is you, Sean Washington. This is you, Warren, even you, Warren Brinson. This is you, Zion Logue. This is all you guys that are in around this position. This is you, Jordan Hall, okay? History shows us that there is a guy at the three-tech position at Georgia, whether it be Devontae Wyatt and Jalen Carter, and then there is the next guy that is in line waiting for the guy to finish his line of duty, right? Devontae Wyatt had Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter had a combination of Warren Brinson and Barry Alexander. So whoever starts at that three-tech position this year, whether it be Warren Brinson because he's the vet or whether it be Bear Alexander, somebody better be ready to roll strong at that number two spot, and it is show-up time for a lot of football players at this position, okay, at that three-technique position. We can talk about nose tackle a little later, but I don't, I don't think nose tackle is even up for debate. I, Nazir Stackhouse is going to play as many or more of those nose tackle reps than Jordan Davis ever did. Okay, first and second down, 78 is on the field. Third and long, he is off. The rest of the time, Stack's got that job. At three tech, however, got big spring. Got a massive spring for a lot of really, really talented high-end football players. Um, take a swig of this here, go-go juice. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like we are way better. It's probably not good for my heart. It's definitely not good for my heart. I am way better when I'm just... Just vibrating off that caffeine. Um, you notice the great, great opportunity. Let's just stop. Hard stop right here. Great opportunity. Chandler Harms for Brooks's random thought of the day. Um, trying to get myself back in the gym. You know, it's off season. It's work on me season. It's, it's up to some season. It's all them seasons. Okay. Um, we are constantly chasing a better version of ourselves. That's the new mission every single day. We're trying to get better, right? You can feel free to join me in this. Just try to get better every single day. That's it. I, I'm just working. And, and, and what I'm working at now is going to the gym every day, hitting the sauna every day, hit, doing my things every day, my daily wellness routines, if you will. Um, not 75 hard, not trying to commit to one thing and, and not some strict diet, just daily just day, waking up every day trying to be better about myself um so and saying that i'm finna judge the hell out of some people that's at my gym i hope none of them watch the show um look here's the deal young men all right if you go to the gym with your girlfriend you do not have to claim your territory bro you don't have to do straight leg rdls with her and do the do the boot, boot the, the glute and the boots workouts just so you can literally like lift your leg and pee on your girlfriend while you're working out so everybody knows she's hers. When she's done with her rep, young man, 23-year-old testosterone-filled, 19-year-old testosterone-filled, however old you are, young person, you do not have to go stick your tongue in your girlfriend's mouth when she gets done doing her set. Bro, we get it. She's your, she's your girlfriend. You like, whoa, I saw, I see way too much of it. What just today? I see way too many young men going to the gym with their girlfriend. Either let her work out by herself and have the confidence to do that or just stay away. Bro, I, I saw one guy 
she was doing RDLs and he was doing curls right behind her. I'm talking toes to heels, homie. Out this world, out of this world, what some of these young men out here doing. All right. Have the confidence to let your lady do her thing by herself and get big enough to where it's not a problem. All right. Or get the hell up out the gym. My God. Woo. I saw one couple. I mean, they, like, they better have sex. I mean, right in the gym. Just trying to do forearms, cuz. Hey, Cedric Johnson got this one right here. Nailed. Hey, toes to heels in the gym. Flagrant. Flagrant two. Out the game. Targeting. Unnecessary roughness. Get, get out the gym. Get out the gym. So, a stock I'm really, really watching closely this spring, David Daniel. David Daniel, massive spring for David Daniel. Here's why. He got, he got a leg up. He got a leg up right now, all right? Dan Jackson, if you have not been following on Patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin, or if you have not been listening to anything we've been doing here all spring, um, Dan Jackson is going to be a limited participant this spring. Joan El Aguero has been on campus two and a half months. David Daniel, it is year three, okay? You got a lot of playing time last year, 14. Your spring, dude. Your spring, just like Marcus or Simi Jack saying, your spring to say, hold on, Jonel Aguero, you're going to have to wait one. Hold on, Jonel Aguero, you're going to have to wait. Hold on, Justin Rett, you're going to have to wait one. Hold on, Dan Jackson, thanks for coming. Right? This is, da this is David Daniel's opportunity to say, I, I learned from Lewis Seen. I learned from Chris Smith. I, I enjoyed watching Malachi Starks last year, coach. I observed and I took care of it. Right? All of those things. That has to show up this spring. We have to be hearing about how 14 has really maybe pulled away from the young cat because that's who it is. That's the, that's the scary one in that room. Okay, if you've heard anything we've been doing here, Jonel Aguero is a football player, all right? I, I said on, on National Signing Day when we did our wrap-up show on this class, he is 93.5% of Caleb Downs. To me, that's what he is. I think both of those football players, Caleb – if he finishes out like he's supposed to, if he if he carries on like we think he's going to, if he carries out the projection, will be a top 25 NFL draft pick. I think Jonel Aguero is like a top 40 NFL draft pick when all is said and done. That's who this football player is. David Daniels got about 15 practices to hold him off into the fall, okay? Because that's what it is. If you hold somebody off through G-Day, you're going to start the fall practice with that job. And then it starts all over again for six weeks. So good luck there, right? But this is a massive, massive spring for 14 from a, hey, are you going to hold this dude off standpoint? Um, I think that's kind of our theme here. I mean, apart from the defensive tackle position, they didn't hold Bear Alexander off. It's already over with, right? He already surpassed some of those guys that had a lead on him. I say, you know, I've had too much caffeine. My head starts itching. Um, my hair is standing up. <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, the same could be said about the Jack position, okay, as some of these other positions. It's an older guy who's maybe not as talented as the other guys uh, trying to hold off young guys like Chaz Chambliss. Chaz Chambliss, I'm telling you right now, will not mess up a single play or assignment all spring long. He will not. But he might not make a single flash play that is a non-targeting football play, okay? He might not make 
a, a single, holy hell, how 32 do that? Play in all the 15 scrimmages, all 15 practices, all 15 team periods. But he's going to be in the right place at the right time when he's supposed to be, when he's asked to be, all that good stuff, okay? But, guys, y'all know who he's holding off. Chaz Chambliss is like 6'3", 245 pounds. He's probably a 4'8'5 runner, okay? Maybe. He is just – he's not one of these super twitched up, high-end 1% athletes. He is a 1% worker. He works like nobody else on this planet. The rest of these people are not from this planet. Marvin Jones at six foot six, 245 pounds, is not from this planet. Samuel Mpemba at six foot three and a half, 245 pounds, at the ability to play at 2% incline, is not from this planet. Damon Wilson at six foot six, 230 pounds, with an elite get off. Probably going to go to the combine, run sub 165 in the 10 yard split. Not from this planet. Darius Smith, six foot six, 230 pounds, ran sub 44 seconds in the, or sub 48 seconds in the 400 in high school. Not from this planet. Okay. It's a big spring for Chaz Chambliss. He's probably going to go into the fall as a starter. Hell, he might wear the C on his chest at some point this fall. But he got some dudes. This 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 might not be about are we watching Chaz's stock? Because I know who Chaz Chambliss is. I do. The stock we need to watch is them other dudes. Because they're, they're, I mean, that is the definition of, hey, this might be the next hot stock. This might be the next daggum Dogecoin you take to the moon, homie. Um, and it's not going to crash, okay, because these stocks are solid, right? This might be the next Fortune 500 company that he's got to try to hold off. So good luck to 32 this spring. I'll be honest with you. I don't I, I don't know him man to man. I've I've ran up on him in, in a post-game press conference in a locker room setting. Um he as he is as intimidating as you would imagine him to be. Um I was talking to a listener the other day. He's not a listener, he's a friend, but his apparently apparently his wife like ran up on uh the, the television was like, oh, he's not as big as I he's not as muscular as what the phrase was. So she was calling me fat. He's not as muscular as I thought he might be. So for those of you who don't know, not to give you my credits, but heights, weights, if I give you my stats, I'm six one. Some would say six one and a half on a good day. Okay. 270. All right. I am a rather big man. All right. I'm from American standards. I, Chaz Chambers, by made me wet myself first time in, in, in a locker room setting. He was uh, in a knee brace, uh, in a knee brace after the SEC championship game. Um, I think it was that. Yeah, I think he got hurt uh, at the end of that game against LSU. And I, I, I just walked up to him and said, "Hey, want to do an interview?" And he said, "Yeah." Got one question in, and he gave me that look, the the look that all villains in movies have, all Chuck Norris's and Chuck Norris's shit movies have. Okay, he gave me that, and it was like, okay, bro, we put the phone down. We was like, we ain't got to do this, dog. We're good. Enjoy the win. Get healthy. We'll see you. Um, yeah, he is like that. Um, don't know why I was telling you that story, but nonetheless, he's a bad dude, and he's one of these dudes from a, a, a mental standpoint, not afraid of competition. No Georgia football player is. He welcomes it, okay, but he's also the type of football player, I believe. It's how he's raised. Um, it's who he is to his core from everything I know. Um he is not afraid to help the next man. He is not. He will not be a me guy. He will not uh, be salty about if there is a, a, a transition period midway through the season. That is not who this individual is. So super excited to see what those young guys do. But very 
uh, excited to see what they do at the jack position um, because we know here on this channel they don't play the same. You're going to go on our lads and you're going to Google Georgia depth chart and you're going to see everybody projecting the depth chart and you're going to see people like us, even us, write down Sam's. Okay, we're going to write that that three, four linebacker. We're going to write a Jack and we're going to write a Sam. We're going to write a nose and we're going to write a defensive end. I will guarantee you that Sam plays about 14% of the snaps. So you, you don't play two outside linebackers. So all these names we talk about, they compete for one spot, that Jack spot. And Chad's Chambers got to hold them all off. Let's talk about the, the creme de la creme, homie. Top shelf, you know. Um, in there, yamming. Let's talk about it. Uh, the quarterback position. Everybody knows it. You want to talk about it. Everybody wants to talk about it. It's Georgia football, so you're going to talk about it. Um, it is the best case scenario for the University of Georgia that starting tomorrow, Carson Beck walks in there just nutted up and feeling like he's got to perform every single day. And the only way that is going to happen is if Brock Vandergriff and Gunnar Stockton perform. Okay? So this spring practice, the quarterback position, which if you've listened to anything, again, I know I keep saying that, but we, we are at the point now where it's go time. All right, we, we've talked a lot about this over the last month that we've been doing three shows a week. Okay? It's go time. And we've told you, we think Carson Beck's got a sizable, not a sizable, a noticeable lead on this quarterback, quote-unquote, battle. In fact, we've gone on to tell you, we don't even think there is a battle. So here's what we're telling you. I told you I was going to give you a Kirbyism today. I did. Competition breeds success. Complacency breeds regress. I said that tremendously. Competition breeds success. Complacency breeds regress. Okay. In other words, it's another way to say it all these same, same, same shit all these other coaches say. I need my quarterbacks to feel like they got to compete every single day, like everybody else. Competition brings excellency in college football. Feeling that pressure that we talked about earlier. Feeling that, damn, my scholar's on the line. That, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my bills at the end of the month. I, I don't know if I can I, I don't know. I don't know, Mom. I don't know if that bill's coming in. I don't know, Dad. I, I don't know if we can do that. I, I don't know. We, we got to perform. These next 15 practices, they got to happen, okay? The only way going into this, because I know I have three and a half years at this point of intel on Carson Beck to tell you that that dude performs really well in practice. We know. If you do, all of you guys, you, you are the University of Georgia fan base. You pay for all of us. Y'all are everywhere. Most of y'all that have subscriptions to me, you got subscriptions everywhere else because everyone does a great job, all right? So, We've been telling you for three years, this dude, number 15, his ass shows up and practices so well every single week, all right? The best case scenario is that the other two dudes do the same exact thing this spring, that all you hear is great news about number two and number three, quarterback, that they're, they're, they're pushing him, that it, it's clear that Carson's the one, he's taking most of the ones reps, but damn, when those other two guys get in there, it, all the future looks bright, Right? I, I, I told you, and I closed the quarterback discussion the other day in one of these shows with basically telling you, like, that y'all need to stop looking through the current one for the next one and enjoying the current one and and hoping that the next one waits his turn, right? It, I, I don't know if it's your human nature. I don't know what it is, but something about – I don't know other fan bases, but something about this fan base, every single time you have a quarterback – you spend far more time worrying about, looking forward to, thinking about, talking about, wondering what's going to happen, transfer discussions, 
about the the quarterback that's not even playing or that might not be playing instead of just focusing and absorbing what is happening on the field and, and what is the quarterback for your football team. And if you only do it at this position, y- y- y'all didn't talk about Ernest Green last year or or when Warren McClendon was starting before he got hurt. Y'all, y'all didn't y'all didn't beg for Warren McClendon to get off the field because of Marius Mims wasn't getting playing time. You didn't do it the year before with Jamari Sawyer when he was keeping Broderick Jones off the field. You don't do this at other positions, but you do it at quarterback. So that pressure needs to be felt. That pressure needs to be felt all the time. It's the only way he's going to be acclimated for what the pressure is really going to feel like. It may be mid-October when he has a bad game because he's going to have a bad football game. It's inevitable. Everyone does. All right, so the only way to condition for that is to feel that pressure every single day in practice 12. And what's Gunner wearing? I don't even know. Huh. 14. 12 and 14 got to have good springs. And I believe they will. Okay. Because, again, I think I think uh, Gunner in particular, he is, he is the definition of a great practice player as well because he just don't give a damn. He is a six-foot version of Ryan Fitzpatrick to me. And when I, when I think about Gunner Stockton, I, I think that that's what I think of from now on. Have you all ever seen good Ryan Fitzpatrick? Like that. How is this dude running on an NFL field? That's what it's gonna look like with Gunner. But it's it's gonna be like, oh damn, he he let our team rush you today. What? And did it with like 12 yards in a cloud of dust? How? That that's 14, and that's practice. And he's got a howitzer attached to his shoulder, too. So again, uh, conclusion on the quarterback position, man. The best bet for you is that it is competitive. Um, let's get to our next one. I think this guy could have been on this list from the day he signed at the University of Georgia, um, and it's Xavier Sori. I have got to, and I'm not saying nobody nobody in that building's ever got an answer to me, duh. Um, I'm just telling you as someone who watches this channel, I'm telling you that I need to hear that Xavier Sori has, they have found a unique way for him to play on the, on the football field. They have found a way for X, number 18, to impact the football game. There has to be a way. It is the third year. It is the third spring that this dude has been on the field. And it's been a tough eval, I told you, since coming out of high school. Because he was never going to be thick and broad enough, okay, to play on the edge. It never looks like that. Okay, this is a six foot three, 225 to 230 pound individual that has tremendous athleticism. But he never possessed the body type that you would project to stand up and rush or God forbid, put his hand in the ground or set an edge. That was not what this football player ever projected to be, but he never had or was asked to play inside the box. And if you know anything about football, once you get inside them tackles, man, the view is just all, it's so much different. You feel condensed, man. It's called a box for a reason. Like you're tight. You're tight, and everyone around you is massive, and it's towers everywhere, and you're working in real tight quarters, and you got to move first, okay? And you got to read first, and there's a bunch of misdirection, and a bunch – it takes a while. And I have yet to hear that, hey, we found a role for him to get after the quarterback. Or, hey, dude, it's it's like stand-up backer. Man, he's clicking through reads really, really well. That type of stuff has not come off like to – like off the Intel machine. It's just not something we've picked up. 
Okay, so I hope we hear that this spring. That's the stock I'm watching from a defensive perspective and an edge rusher position. So I don't know what I would do with these individuals. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with these individuals, but I, I know what I, I lied. I know what I would do. I've known what I would do with this defense for a long time and the way that they recruit. Because guess what? Their roster, when I look at it, look, this roster is filled with six foot two, two twenty five, sub eleven second running Raylan Wilson. It is filled with Xavier Soris. It is filled with Darius Smiths, Jalen Walker, Smile Mondans. All of these six foot two plus to six foot six, sub two hundred and forty pound individuals that are all like uniquely talented. They kind of have similar gifts, but they don't. But we don't really know what to do with them because they don't have a traditional position. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a horrific, horrific mismatch opportunity for an opposition or, or an offense. Okay. What I would do if I were the University of Georgia, I would play your three down linemen. I would play a nose tackle and two defensive ends. I would try to find a Jordan Davis in every class and two Michael Williams in every single class. And then I would recruit all these dudes. I would go to the track, find the biggest, tallest, longest, fastest mofo that I could find that even assembled to a football player. And I would just stand them in the middle of the field. We would run some type of a semblance of an odd front, three front defense. Okay, basically do what Georgia does on third down right now, but do it all the time. That's what I would do. I would confuse the hell out of defenses. He wants to rush six, drop five. That's what he wants to do. He wants to stop the run with six bodies, play the pass with five on every single down. If that's what you want to do, if that's who you want to be, I would do it with as much chaos and as much athleticism as humanly possible. I would try to play all these some bitches at the same time because they're immensely talented, all of them. But they have a really, really hard time finding any opportunity to play them within this confined 4-2-5 defense. This 4-2-5 defense leads to tremendous results. Who am I to sit here and say this? But they have to find more downs than just third and long to play all of these bodies, right? Or else Darius Smith just stands on the roster for three years and he goes elsewhere. And that sucks because that dude's an avatar, right? Find ways to do it. Uh, find ways to get him onto the field. Uh, I, I believe, I like I said, I would play – uh, a Jordan, I would I would find as big and physical of a nose tackle as I humanly could that could just handle both A-gaps by himself. I would find two Michael Williams is every class. Again, listen to what I'm asking for, right? I would find two Michael Williams is every class, and then I would just zone match the whole entire middle of the field. If you ran into the middle of the field, so one of these avatars would be picking you up and running with you. And good luck. You pass on 60% of downs nowadays in college football. If I get you, if I get you behind the sticks, that number goes up to like 70-75%. You would not be able to throw in the windows against me. You would turn, you would say down set hut, and you would turn around and you would see three or four of these jokers with their eyes looking at you and their arms like this. It would be like looking at the first time teams saw the two-three zone from Syracuse, and they got two point guards or two, uh, you know, two guards that are like six nine. Like mellow out there guarding garden in a two three zone and just standing out there at six foot nine in college. That's what it would look like defensively for me. Um, again, who am I, right? Who am I? They, they, they paid millions of dollars for their defensive minds. And this fat head is going to be on YouTube talking about, oh, I'd reinvent the wheel. Hit the thumbs up button for that fat head. We got some more uh, stocks we're watching before we get into around the league, man. We got to wrap it up. We're, we're moving a little bit too slow 
for my taste tonight. Let's talk about RB3. Obviously, the candidates heading into the spring are Branson Robinson and Andrew Paul. Um, we believe thoroughly Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards will be the one-two punch for Georgia this spring, right? And this fall, everyone agree? Nod your head at home by giving me a thumbs up, both on the video and as an active member of this class, okay? That being said, running back three at the University of Georgia is like, Man, they say they say the backup quarterback position in the NFL is the best job in sports. I disagree. I disagree. I say running back three at the University of Georgia is the greatest job in sports, and here's why. Okay, in 2022, Kendall Milton, who is inarguably running back three, right? Um, statistically, too. Kenny McIntosh took the bulk of the work. Dejon Edwards got the rest. And due to some injury stuff, Kendall Milton got the third amount of the carries. But he still accounted for 23% of the touches and led the SEC in yards per uh, touch, yards per carry. Okay. He had 27% of the yards last year as running back three, okay? He comes back for a fourth year, completely fresh numbers-wise. That guy's never had a heavy workload, and he's going to get it this year, most presumably in one of these primary roles. In 2021, Kenny McIntosh set, quote-unquote, set behind Zamir White and James Cook. Kenny McIntosh accounted for 18% of the touches and 17% of the total yards in 2021. 2020 is a COVID year. Numbers are a little funky. 2019, okay, Zamir White sits behind, again, quote-unquote, sits behind DeAndre Swift and Brian Harrion. He accounts for 21% of the touches as a redshirt. Saw freshman at that point, okay, and 24% of the yards. 2018 is the only example under Kirby Smart where there really is no third back. It is the only example where Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Swift were truly an example of a one-two punch. There was no third counter. There was no, you know, uppercut. All right. This in 2017, DeAndre Swift was the uppercut. He accounted for 18% of the touches uh, and 19% of the total yards. So what I'm telling you right now, Andrew Paul, Branson Robinson, okay, if you're watching this today, 20% of the offensive touches, the carries, the yards production at the running back position, they are available. They are yours to gain if you have a solid spring, summer, and fall. Okay, Roger Robinson, that, that it includes you. Okay, there is not a history of fourth and fifth backs really eaten. Okay, this past year is probably the only one that you have where Branson Robinson ripped off a couple long stretches and y'all beat the hell out of enough football teams where the fourth back could get in there and get some run. Oh, and by the way, Kendall was hurt some too, so Branson got some run there in like the Auburn game and the Vandy game, you know, insto facto. Nonetheless, there's about 20% of touches available this spring for you to earn and really put your notch and kind of like pencil your name in. I'm going to carry about 300 yards this year. I'm going to get about 30 touches. Those are mine. Thank you, sir. May I have another? All right, that's up for grabs this spring. You know, we told you a couple weeks ago that we're going to do a look around segment every week. Talk. I mean, I know y'all love the University of Georgia. Y'all do. Okay, everybody's here to listen to me gallivant and rant about the University of Georgia and Georgia football. Um, but we can only talk dogs so much. I believe my 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 good friend Jamie Goodman, um, good friend Goodman, would probably tell you that no such thing, Fugazi Brooks. There's no such thing as too much Georgia talk. Um, we're going to buck that trend for the next 10, 15 minutes, and we're going to talk a little bit about Florida. And you know what, Jamie? You don't have to leave. You know what, dog fan? Dog fan 5967 
in the YouTube chat, you don't got to leave. You know why? Because you're going to love this segment. This is this is me with the, with the, the rainy clouds over uh over the Billy Napier boys down there in Gainesville, Florida. This ain't going to be great if you're a Gator fan. If you're a Gator fan and somehow you found this, this ain't going to be good. All right, so buckle in. Today's look around. We take a look. Look around. Brought to you by. I don't have a sponsor. Insert sponsor here. This day is brought to you. Look around. Brought to you by Florida's six and six average season last year. Not looking great this year either. Hey, um, this year too for Billy Napier. And I, I would say, hey, might be year two. I mean, if you really think about it, the last few things this Florida fan base remembers about what it is Billy Napier is bringing to the table for these Florida Gators is a 30-point drubbing to the Beavers, to Oregon State, fam, in the Las Vegas Bowl, okay? Not to mention the quarterback, like, legal drama and recruiting drama. They've had recruiting drama and current, like, stuff on the roster. And that current stuff on the roster, whoo-hoo. Um, and, oh, by the way, uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but they went 6-6 six and six last year with a quarterback that might be going number one overall. Like, the dude's going to be the number one draft pick, potentially, in the NFL draft. And Billy Napier and the Florida Gators went 6-6. Six and six. What? Not great. Not great. Oh, and by the way, they didn't win with that guy. But they got Graham Mertz. <laughs> Graham Mertz. Wisconsin ran Graham Mertz out of town, folks. Come on. It ain't looking great down there for Billy Bags Napier. All right? Um... Look, there, there are growing pains. There are 100% growing pains in any coaching regime, right? But if you have to ask, I mean, Florida's odds, have they vastly improved in year two? Right? Have, have, look at this schedule, guys. It's not great. Graham Mertz walks in. Roster kind of in, in, in flux. It's not looking great. Quarterback position, not looking great. Backup quarterback position, looking even worse. Okay, um, but hey, week one, you travel to Utah. That's a really good football team that you eked out a win because your number one overall draft pick was being superhuman. You eked out a win against that Utah team. You go to the you go travel to them. Good luck, week one, right there. Oh, and then you host Tennessee, who's obviously rolling under hype. But we gave you that look around earlier in the year, or earlier in the spring. You got at Kentucky. You host Vanderbilt, which obviously under Billy Napier is not a shoe in. Pun intended. It is not a shoe-in win for the Florida Gators. Okay? And then you're at South Carolina. That's six of your first eight games. That sounds really tough, right? Guys, that's the easy portion of Florida's schedule in 2023. That's the easy eight games. That's the easy eight-game stretch. In the back end of their schedule, they have to play Florida State, Georgia, and LSU in three of their last five. Not good. Not good for Florida. Moving in. Now you'll say, Brooks, hey, it takes longer than two years to rebuild. Then you, I will tell you right now, you have not been listening to this program. You have not. We live strictly on a year three principle on this program. If you do not have things rotated around within three calendar cycles, yo ass is grass. It is not going to be successful in modern college football. There are slim to none examples of such. So, Entering year two, okay, with that schedule, okay, and the fact that 
Kirby Smart turned it around year two. Josh Heupel turned it around in year two. Look at what Shane Beamer's done in just two years at South Carolina. Okay? There's precedence in your division, not your conference. We go, If we want to go conference, look what Brian Kelly did with LSU this year. It was a walking zombie he got to the SEC championship game. So there's four examples of the last four coaching hires in your conference, Billy Napier. Buddy, if there aren't results this year, if there aren't clear signs that it's turning around at Florida, you will be gone, I would imagine. That seat will get extremely hot down there. Okay, it has definitely shown me something. So the question is, what's going to be an improvement that gives the Florida fans some type of hope in this season? Does it look like an 8-4 and four season? Does it look like a 9-3 and three season? Are those records even attainable with what we know about their roster and their schedule? I would tell you no. Um, but here's the scariest part um, for me, okay? I'm a, I'm a, a, a read-the-tea-leaves guy, okay? I, I like to scan the, the surface and, and see what I can look at and then start to, to peel that top layer off and look at that, uh, that, that topsoil, see if that foundation is any somewhat sustainable. And here's what I'll tell you right now. They had a tight ends coach bolt from this coaching staff after one season. They had a defensive backs coach bolt from this coaching staff after one season, not fired. These guys actively left. They had one of their keynote assistants, a guy that had worked to get his way into college football and Kareem Reed. He came back to high school football here in the state of Georgia. He's coaching at McEachern High School. He's head coach. They had another off-field answer to do the same thing. They got guys bolting from that staff, bolting from that roster. The guys that jumped on the ship a year ago, a ship that everybody in national media was telling you, hey, Billy Bags, right? Look what he's doing on the trail. Look, I mean, NIL. Look at all this. The Gator Collective. There was so much hype and anticipation. They got the biggest staff in, the, in college football. Look at all these recruiting staffers. Look at how much investment we have bought into the, into the University of Florida football program. All that good stuff. And you look up 24, you know, 12 months later, and guys are flocking, man. Folks are leaving, actively leaving. And not even for, like, better jobs. People taking lateral jobs. That is never a sign. That is never a, whoo, it's looking great. No. So there you go. That's a look around at Florida. And that is our show for the evening. I appreciate you guys for being here. We will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be a lot of pro day preview. Okay. Might give you some tea leaves off of what we found out from practice tomorrow. But I'm going to tell you right now. Don't don't be overhyping the practice notes tomorrow. I, I know some of you writers are watching me right now because you do. Don't be overhyping tomorrow's practice because you don't know football if you do. It's helmets. Okay, if you aren't talking about one-on-ones with receivers and DBs or ball placement with quarterbacks, you ain't see shit. And neither did your sources. Okay. <laughs> Talk to me when them pads come on, cuzzo. We'll see you later. Love you. Hit that like button on your way out.